Good afternoon, America, and welcome to The Dean's List as we dive into part four today of our defense slash support of the Matt Gates bill. It is the Protect Prayer in Public Schools Act of 2023. And we have decided to really do a deep dive into this thing because we want to support it. We want to defend it. I don't know that Matt Gates needs our defense, but we want to do it. And in in really supporting this and defending it, we're going about it historically. We are laying the historical groundwork, which really says that this bill is necessary. This historical groundwork says that this is what our founding fathers would want. They absolutely would want prayer in schools, and they would be appalled to learn that prayer was no longer in schools. And we have stationed ourselves really here on point five and Matt Gates's bill. His bill at point five says this, our founding fathers would be appalled to learn the establishment clause of the First Amendment was being weaponized, not to prevent the establishment of a state religion, but to suppress religion in schools across the states, contrary to the free exercise clause. And he is absolutely 100% correct. The founding fathers would be appalled. They would be mortified to learn that we have weaponized one portion of the First Amendment against the other. We've weaponized the Establishment Clause to literally remove the Free Exercise Clause. And we've done it by by taking the definition of the Establishment Clause and turning it inside out. And it was done on purpose. And we are in the process of showing you really how it was done on purpose. We somewhat interrupted ourselves yesterday, the end of part three. That's where we got to, and we're going to pick it up there. But before we do, I strongly encourage you, if if so you're listening to part four right now, if this is, if you're hearing this in podcast, which all of our shows the next day go to podcast. So if you happen to find part four in podcast, go back, find parts one, two, and three. You're going to need parts one, two, and three. Now, the other day I said, you know, part one could really go in any order. And after thinking about it, you should just go in the order it's numbered. Just stay with one, two, three. Two, three definitely need to be in that order because we are focusing on point five. When we get to point five, there is so much to cover. There is so much history to unearth. There's such an historical foundation that has to be laid. It's literally taken us three days to do it. But it's so good. I mean, if you're geeky and nerdy about this sort of thing like I am, you are in heaven right now. At least I'm loving it. Somebody else not so nerdy and geeky about it might be saying, come on, Dean, really? Uh, This again? Oh, you're killing us with this constitution business. This is a show about education. Stick to education. Well, that's true. It is a show about education. But education uh, requires history. And you've got to have history taught well. And that's what we're doing here. We are in the process of teaching history well, because it's accurate history. None of this fake mumbo jumbo made up business. This is the real deal. We are diving into original source documents. We're looking at actual things the founding father said, not you know what some professor at some woke 
leftist progressive college says that the founding fathers said. And then that liberal woke professor is cited by another liberal woke professor, and they just cite each other in this echo chamber citation bubble with, with no way out. No, we are not in an echo chamber citation bubble. We are going to original sources and we are pulling it out. I want you to see what the founders meant. I want you to understand where they intended us to be. So we've been going through this process. And we started We started with the First Amendment itself. We talked about the two clauses. We discussed the original intent and meanings of words. I, I read a quote to you from Thomas Jefferson, where he is reaching out to a Supreme Court justice. Let me pull that up again. Here's what he says. This is a letter to... Supreme Court Justice William Johnson, and this is from Thomas Jefferson. And they're talking about discerning the original meaning and the original content of the Declaration. This is what Jefferson says. On every question of construction, carry ourselves back to the time when the Constitution was adopted. Recollect the spirit manifested in the debates. And instead of trying what meaning they may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, conform to the probable one in which it was passed. It's almost as if Jefferson was prophetic. It's almost as if he knew somewhere down the line, justices would attempt to squeeze meaning out of some portion of the, of the Constitution or even invent it against itself. Can you believe he said that? <laughs> I'm going to read it again. Instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, conform to the probable one in which it was passed. And that's where we find ourselves, because the First Amendment has literally been, the, the language has been invented against itself. The meaning of the First Amendment is a brand spanking new meaning. It, the, the definition of it is brand spanking new. It's been turned against itself. It's not the meaning or the definition that the founders gave it. The Establishment Clause says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And that's not how it's defined today. It's it 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 was put in place as a constraint on Congress. The establishment clause is written to put the shackles on Congress. That Congress is not allowed to make a law that respects an establishment of religion. Or in their definition of religion, they actually meant a denomination of Christianity. Congress can't take one denomination and nationally put it over another. They can't take the Episcopal denomination and make it over all others. They can't take the Baptist denomination and put it over all others. You get the point. They're not allowed to do this. It's a shackle. It's a restraint against Congress. But today, the Establishment Clause is a shackle against the citizens. Oh, you 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 go to a public school and, and you want to pray? Uh-uh. Sorry. Sorry, that means that Congress is making a law 
that is establishing your religion over another. Sorry, you can't do that. And so we see that we're to this point where the First Amendment has literally been turned against itself. And Jefferson was prophetic when he said, instead of trying what meaning may be squeezed out of the text or invented against it, conform to the probable one in which it was passed. Well, how do we conform to the probable one? Well, we have to go to the debates. What were they saying at the time? And what did they mean by what they were saying at the time? And, you know, the past couple of days we've been talking about the actual debates themselves, the debates of the First Amendment and what the founding fathers meant when they referred to religion, that Congress shall establish no religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That word religion, they use interchangeably with denomination. We talked about that in detail. In essence, what they were saying is, look, we fled from England. We came from a situation where the Anglican church was over all other denominations. The pilgrims fled here because they didn't want to be a part of it. The Puritans fled to America because they were unable to purify it. And that's that's what they wanted to avoid. They didn't want to find themselves again in a situation where one denomination ruled all others. You know, it's like the one ring to rule them all. That's what they were trying to avoid. They didn't want it. And they put these shackles on Congress. So we're to this point now where we've asked the question, how did this happen? How did we get here? What's changed? What changed in America? What? How do we get to this point where the First Amendment is defined to mean something completely opposite from what it actually means? And, you know, again, I, I made this statement. You don't have to be a constitutional attorney to figure this out. I respect the, the constitutional scholars among us. These are, are smart men and women. But you don't have to be a constitutional attorney to read the Constitution and understand what it means. Really, you don't. I mean, all we have to do is look at the intent. And that's what Jefferson said. Go back and look at the at the intent, the spirit that it was drafted. Look at the debates. Go back to the debates. But we have a Supreme Court, at least we had in the 1940s, that that chose not to do this. And I've said the other day that I, I don't I don't think this I don't think this is incompetence. You know, people people have asked this question about our current government. Is it is our current government just incompetent? Are we really this incompetent where we're gonna send millions and millions, yay billions to you can't Ukraine, but yet the citizens in Hawaii we're gonna we're gonna give them seven hundred dollars. These people that have literally lost everything in Hawaii, and and they're getting seven hundred dollars, and we have sent truckloads. I guess it would be plane loads. We've sent plane loads to Ukraine, and the question is. 
is our government just incompetent or is it something else? And and I, I firmly believe, yes, there is a, a strong level of incompetence, but I firmly believe it's something else. I, I think it's happening on purpose. I think they know what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose. I think the same holds true in the 1940s and 30s and 20s when this foundation was being laid. They knew what they were doing and they did it on purpose. So I started yesterday, really, you know, we were we ended the the segment. We ended part three by talking about Charles Darwin. In 19, or 1859, Darwin, you know, comes out with this, this whole idea of evolution, origin of species. He writes this book, and you know, some people in academia latch on to it. There's a fellow by the name of Herbert Spencer, who was a political theorist, and he actually coined the term survival of the fittest. And he decided, hmm, I've got this idea. I think think we take this evolutionary theory idea and we apply it to other areas of academia. So beginning in 1870, a Harvard Law professor named Christopher Columbus Langdell He pioneered this whole idea of applying evolution to the legal process. And and here we are at the beginning. This is the very beginning of it. 1870, this Harvard Law professor. And, you know, we said this is ironic, really, because it was Joseph Story who founded Harvard Law. And he, he was one of the men, one of the quotes I read to you the other day, you know, where he basically said, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back and you have to look at an original intent. You have to understand what was, what the framers were saying and and what were the exact definitions of their words. Here's something that is, that was commented on Joseph's story in the Constitution of the United States of America Analysis and Interpretation. Justice Story contended the Establishment Clause, while it inhibited Congress from giving preference to any denomination of the Christian faith, was not intended to withdraw the Christian religion as a whole from the protection of Congress. Joseph Story continued, and this is a direct quote from from Joseph Story, Probably at the time of the adoption of the Constitution and of the amendment to it now under consideration, this would be the First Amendment, the general, if not the universal sentiment in America was that Christianity ought to receive encouragement from the state so far as was not incompatible with the private rights of conscience and the freedom of religious worship. Any attempt to level all religions— and make it a matter of state policy to hold all in utter indifference would have created universal disapprobation, if not universal indignation. That was Joseph Story. Joseph Story, who started Harvard Law School, who said, you have to go back and look at the original, what they meant. Here he's saying, you know, it, it's not Congress's place to level all religion. 
and make it a state policy to hold all in utter indifference. You can't you can't do what we've done, and that's destroy all religion. Joseph's story said uh, that would create universal indignation. I think what we have here, though, is almost universal apathy. It just feels like it's universal apathy, like it's been, you know, we've been living in this defined term of the First Amendment for so long that, I mean, we're almost just, well, okay, I guess that's the way it is. I mean, that's the way the the Supreme Court says that they're going to define the First Amendment, so I guess that's how it's defined. I heard someone the other day talk about being blackpilled, and they defined being blackpilled or, or taking the, the black pill as just giving up hope. It's just almost becoming cynical and just saying, well, I mean, whatever, it's just the way it is. And I, I feel like that's the case, or has been the case at least, through the years in regard to this First Amendment in regard to the Supreme Court turning it upside down and just you know flipping it up upside down so it's defined the exact opposite of what it was intended to be defined. Almost as if everyone has just been blackpilled. It's been going on for so long. We're just like, okay, you know, okay. I guess that's the way it is. And we have Joseph Story, who founded Harvard Law, saying, you got to go back to the original intent. you got to go back to what was meant in the beginning. And ironically enough, in 1870, Harvard Law professor Christopher Columbus Langdell starts pioneering this idea of the evolutionary process in legal cases. And that's what we're going to we're going to dive into and we're going to explore next on the flip side of this break. Thank you for joining me. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. 
Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Out loud. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I am Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are happy that you are along for the ride today. You can hear us here on America Out Loud Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. We are the 2 p.m. time slot. Or you can listen to us on iHeartRadio, or you can download the free America Out Loud Talk Radio app for your Apple, your Android, your Alexa. Or you can catch us on podcast the day after. Any way you, you, you choose to listen, we are just happy that you are, that you're along, that you've come along for the ride. So we are diving deep into supporting this bill that Matt Gates has proposed and here we are in 1859, where Char- Charles Darwin has said, you know what? Mm, I think evolution is a thing. I really think that, I don't think we were created. I think we were spawned from a monkey. Or I think we came from a fish or a single cell amoeba. I, I don't I don't know what the, I don't know what he said, quite frankly. It's all bunk, if you ask me. But it flies in the face, really, of the of the Declaration, because Jefferson said, "All men are created equal. We are all created equal, and we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these rights, he didn't say all of them. This list isn't exhaustive. He just said among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are some other rights, though, and one of those rights is religious freedom." that we have the right to worship as we see fit. We have a God-given, unalienable right to have have a faith in in whichever way we, we see fit. And it's the government's job to protect that right. And now that right is under assault, and it has been under assault for years, decades even. So Charles Darwin comes up with this this, uh, evolution idea, and a a Harvard Law professor takes it one step further. Christopher Columbus Langdell in 1870, he applies this whole idea of evolution to the legal process. And he he comes up with this this thought that says, you know what, why don't we, why, why can't case law evolve? And he calls it case precedent. The case precedent method of practicing law makes it no longer necessary to study the intent of those who wrote the Constitution. Instead, you just look at the most recent case, and then you expand it a little bit every time. You just stretch that reach a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more until you are miles and miles away from what the founders had originally intended. That's the whole point here. 
1870, that's where this whole thing begins. However, evolutionary law grows into this behemoth once Oliver Wendell Holmes is nominated to the court by Theodore Roosevelt. Yep, 1902, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. is put on the Supreme Court. Here's what his biographer had to say about his theory of legal relativism, or, or also legal realism. He says, it shook the little world of lawyers and judges who had been raised on Blackstone's theory that the law given by God himself was immutable and eternal and judges had only to discover its contents. That was the foundation of law right there, by the way. That it is called the, the laws of nature and nature's God. That's what that's how Jefferson termed it in the Declaration. That's how the founding fathers looked at it. They they called it natural law uh, or natural rights. This was it was a law that was God-given. The law of nature and nature's God. So Blackstone believed this. Blackstone was essentially, uh, he was, you know, his his law books were the were the law books of the day. If you were going to be a lawyer in that time period, you read Blackstone. You knew everything that Blackstone had to say about it. Blackstone and others in that time period truly believed that the law was given by God Himself, and it was immutable. And it was the job of the judge to discover the content. So back to uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr.'s biographer. Here's what he is saying about Holmes. It took some years for them to come around to the view that the law was flexible, responsive to changing social and economic climates. Holmes had broken new intellectual trails, demonstrating that the corpus of the law was neither an edict from God nor derived from nature. Oh, and there it is. The law is not an edict from God, nor is it derived from nature, but was a constantly evolving thing, a response to the continually developing social and economic environment. So the law was constantly expanding. It's not fixed. It's not solid. It's not immutable. You know what? It's really, it, you know, it's going to expand a little bit. You know, it's got to, uh, it's got to expand with the times. Yeah, it, it has to change just like the times are changing. It, it has to constantly evolve. It's got to evolve in response to the continually developing social and economic climate, the economic environment, the the social changes that we're going through. That's that's how the law has to respond. And it has to respond in kind. It, it is not an edict from God, nor derived from nature. So during this time period, this whole idea uh, is, is starting to really take hold. The late 1800s, the early 1900s. And you almost see it as this separation from the Declaration of Independence. We have to separate ourselves from the laws of nature and nature's God. We have to separate ourselves from this idea of a creator who has given us unalienable rights. 
No, we 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 don't have a creator. You know, we we have a monkey. We have a gorilla. We have a fish. We have some animal that 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 we've sprung from. That's what we have. It's really being, it's 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 born from the thoughts and the ideas of men who despised individualism. They despised individual freedom. And instead, what they wanted was collectivism. They wanted people to be trapped in the collective authority of the state. Ultimately, that's what they were going for. They were going for state authority. Oh, boy, it's com- it was communism before communism was fashionable. It was socialism before socialism was the thing of the day, the flavor of the day. Boy, these guys were ahead of their time. So religion, though, remains under the state's jurisdiction right up until FDR. FDR, who put the former KKK member, Senator Hugo Black, on the Supreme Court. Did you know that? Did you know that Senator Hugo Black, who was a Democrat senator, was also a former KKK member? I mean, you could probably take your pick of the litter in from the Democrat Senate during the 1830s and 40s and the 20s. And, and you know, either one of them, whoever you pick, they're going to be a member of the KKK. I mean, the Democrats started the KKK, right? Did you know that? It's true. They did. Oh, yeah, they were they were right there in the heart of it. And so here you have uh, FDR. And he says, hmm, who can I put on the court? Let's see. Let me find a good KKK member. Someone who's going to uphold the tenets of the Democrat Party. Oh, Hugo Black. Yeah, let's take him. And like FDR, Hugo Black concentrated power in the federal government. Most notably, in 1947, when we have Everson, Everson v. Board of Education. So this is the case. This is the case that really springboards things. Now, I want you to recall Oliver Wendell Holmes and this whole idea of evolutionary theory. It was case precedent. You know, so we're not going to look at the original intent of what the founder said. We're going to take a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and we're going to refer to the case previous. Okay, that's that's the that's the game plan here. This is the this is the new playbook, case precedent. So 1947, this case comes to the Supreme Court. The uh, let me read the summary for you just to kind of bring you up to speed. Uh, a New Jersey law allowed local school districts to make their own rules and contracts on transporting children to and from school. Under this law, the Board of Education of Ewing Township started reimbursing parents for the cost of sending their kids to school on public buses. This included buses to private schools. 96% of which were Catholic parochial schools. Arch Everson filed a lawsuit as a taxpayer in Ewing Township, arguing that reimbursing parents who sent their children to religious schools violated the First Amendment. Okay, remember, the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. So this guy is like, ah, I mean... You know, reimbursing parents with taxpayer money 
who send their children to religious schools. I, I think that's going to violate that amendment. A New Jersey trial court found the statute unconstitutional. But on appeal, the New Jersey Supreme Court upheld it. And in 1947, Everson v. Board of Education reached the United States Supreme Court. Relying on the plain text of the First Amendment, however, the Supreme Court found that although the United States government cannot promote religion, it also cannot be religion's adversary. So the Supreme Court actually ruled in favor of this of the school board essentially saying, yeah, you know what, this is okay. You can do this. In a narrow five to four decision, the majority held that the New Jersey law did not violate the Constitution's Establishment Clause because it did not directly support Catholic schools. Instead, it assisted parents of all religions with getting their kids to school. The court also held that state and local governments, oh, here it comes. This is the kicker right here. So while, while the Supreme Court upheld the New Jersey law, they just added something. They just added their own little flavor that later on down the road could be used as part of precedent. Because, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes and company said, we just need, we need little, little tiny changes here and there, and we're just going to inch our way forward incrementally. So here's what the court said that, um, or they held while they, while they rule in favor of, of the New Jersey law, the court also held that state and local governments are prohibited from the establishment of religion in the same way as the federal government. That is 100% inaccurate because the First Amendment only prohibited the federal government. It did not prohibit the states. It didn't prohibit local municipalities. It was not to prohibit the people. It was to prohibit the federal government. That's what the Bill of Rights is. It's the Bill of Rights for the people. It's not designed to prohibit the people. But Hugo Black and Company, even though they rule in favor of New Jersey, everything's good here, no religious liberty, it's intact. We love it. We're all for religious liberty. Oh, but we're going to slide this little this little piece in here that, um, you know, it's our opinion, really, that, you know, this the Establishment Clause applies to state and local governments as well. And that, my friends, is a lie. It is a flat-out lie. It does not apply to state and local governments. Oh, but... Hugo Black and Company, they pulled it off. The majority opinion, I'm back here to the summary. The majority opinion was written by, guess who? Justice Hugo Black, our friend from the KKK. He acknowledged that, quote, no tax in any amount, large or small, can be levied to support any religious activities or institutions, whatever they may, whatever they may be called, or whatever form they may adopt to teach or practice religion. However, he reasoned that because reimbursements were offered to all students, regardless of religion, it was constitutionally permissible. Furthermore, government funds were given to parents, not to the schools. So Hugo Black rules in favor 
he and the other five, the other five justices, all of the justices, by the way, on this court, every single last one of them, they are appointed by either FDR, seven of them, or Woodrow Wilson, the other two. No, I'm sorry, Harry Truman. Woodrow Wilson is, is 1913. Harry Truman. So you have FDR appointing seven, Harry Truman appointing two of them. So it's a very, it's a, it's a dominated Democrat Supreme Court. And, you know, FDR, he's got, he's got his own people on the court, but yet he was the one that was upset that they weren't ruling the way he wanted to rule. And so he threatened he was going to pack the court. I mean, you had your pick of the Democrat litter. You had your pick of the KKK litter, FDR. Oh, boy. All right. I just, I, you know, when I dive into it personally, when I, when I dive into the history, it becomes so frustrating. None of us, I shouldn't say none of us, I wasn't alive in 1947. Maybe some of you were. I suppose it's possible. I was not alive in 1947. I wasn't there to see the landscape, how people responded to this ruling. Was it just that they were relieved that the Supreme Court sided with the New Jersey law and nobody paid attention to this little this little thing that they that they stuck in there that said, yeah, really states and local municipalities or you know this the first amendment applies to them as well it was it just that how did we miss it how did we miss it i guess i could repeat that question till i'm i'm blue in the face and this is really where where the frustrating part come comes in because these little things it almost seems like it just happens under the cover of darkness and 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 we're not paying attention. It, it happens today. There's stuff going on today that you can look around and you know this whole idea of digital currency, it's just it's gonna it's gonna come to us in small increments. I mean there are those of us out there that are that are screaming from the rooftops that we've got to stop and change this. And I guess we just keep on screaming. We keep on screaming. Well, let's continue our screaming on the other side of the break. You are listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Change in the world one person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced. 
These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Welcome back to the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are in the middle of a deep dive. We are in part four of our deep dive into the Protect Prayer in Public Schools Act. We are laying the historical foundation and and groundwork, really, to support this bill. And it can be a lot. It really can. I get it. I know it can be. It can be a lot of history. It can be frustrating. When you can look in the rearview mirror and you can see what happened then in the context of what's happening now. And, you know, I think a lot of us, we just have this impulse to just just stick our heads in the sand and just say, oh, you know what? It happened. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, that, that sand pile down there, my head's going in that. I'm not going to pay attention. Look, I'd rather just I'd rather just go through my life. I'd rather just go to work, make my money, come home and just enjoy my family, have some vacation, you know, sit back and just you know, I get it. I understand that that can be the pull. But we have to fight really because of our family. We have to look at this stuff. We have to pay attention to it, and we have to we have to fight for our families. Because if if we keep going down this road that we're going down, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we have we have public school teachers that are not only allowed but are encouraged by their districts to include in their lesson planning for four year old children issues that would pertain to homosexuality. You should not be teaching little kids, little four-year-olds, such things. They're, they're not there. They, they don't have the, the mental capacity. Teach them their letters. Teach them their numbers. Teach them the, 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 the phonic sound structure. But... We don't have that right now. I mean, yeah, we do have that. I mean, they're teaching them their their letters and their numbers, but they're incorporating it in in LGBTQ stuff and these issues. So we can bury our head in the sand while, while America just marches off the educational cliff. Or we can do some deep dive and we can... We can find out when this thing got flipped upside down because then we can go back and we can make some changes. That's the whole point of this deep dive is by laying the historical foundation as a country, we can go back and make some changes. I got an email from someone the other day. You know, what do we do? 
what do we need to do this you know we me and my friends were 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 talking and you know just what do we do what's the plan of action and i understand that we 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 want someone to stand up and give us this this grand plan of action i get that but ultimately what we have to do is affect our own sphere of influence in our own community rally community members rally people of like mind and together as a unit in numbers affect change but what does that change look like i, I think it depends i think it it depends on on your efforts are you going to a school board are you going to sit at the school board meeting are you going to try to affect change at the school board level maybe you get a group of people and you decide we are going to run as a ticket and all of us are going to run on you know for the school board as a conservative like-minded ticket maybe that's what you do to affect change in in your community maybe you approach uh, school leadership Maybe it can happen at the school level. Maybe it doesn't have to go to the school board level. I, I, I think ultimately we we have to surround ourselves with like-minded people. And and we have to, to develop a, a local community plan. You know, the Constitution is it's ground up. It is local. And then it works its way up. It's really difficult to affect change in Washington, but if we can affect change in our local communities and then affect change at the county level and then affect change at the state level, it's, you know, the term is grassroots and that's really where things change. That is really where things change. And so that's where we are. We can't bury our head in the sand. That's the point of this deep dive is to pull our heads out of the collective sand pile and and i think ultimately i'm probably preaching to the choir because people that listen to america out loud i get it your heads are out of the sand you are not in a sand pile somewhere shoulder deep you aren't you are paying attention your head's on a swivel you're looking around you know what's happening so it's up to us it's up to this community it's up to the america out loud community to rally our smaller communities to rally our own sphere of influence and talk through it. Let's talk through it. Let's decide, okay, what do we need to change? How do we go about doing it? All right. That's that's the point of this deep dive. So let's go back to Everson v. Board of Education. This is 1947. So in the early 1900s, just a quick refresher, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. starts really really supporting this theory of of case precedent and when he gets put on the supreme court it really changes things he really shakes things up from the supreme court level because up until this time everyone's following blackstone they all agree that the laws of nature and nature's god take precedent that law is immutable it's god-given and then Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. comes along and he says, eh, it's really not. I mean, it, it should be breathable. It should be expandable. Law should expand 
and change the way societies expand and, and change. So that's where we are. And he recommended that that we do this in small increments, just small little pieces. So we have this opportunity. The progressives had this opportunity in 1947 to just make a small change. So in the Everson v. Board of Education case, the Supreme Court discusses the wall of separation that should be present between the government and religious institutions. So this is in the Jefferson letter. He tells the Danbury Baptist, look, you don't have to worry. Religious freedom, the ability to, to express your faith and to worship in whatever way you please is a God-given right. It's not a favor from Congress that they can take. It's a God-given right. And there is this wall of separation between the church and the state. And his context is that the state can't come in and interfere. They are, they are prohibited by the First Amendment, which says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So this 47 court has introduced, they've pulled out this wall of separation phrase. Now, other courts, as I said the other day, they address Jefferson's letter, but they address the whole letter in its context. This court, they're sneaky. This 47 court, sponsored by the Ku Klux Klan member, Hugo Black, they're sneaky. They are, uh, they're only going to include the eight words a wall of separation between church and state. That's all that they're going to talk about. They say that the wall of separation should be present between the government and religious institutions. This metaphor led to the commonly used phrase, separation of church and state, the phrase that many people think today is in the First Amendment. Of course, it's not in the First Amendment. Open up the Constitution. Pay attention. Not you guys. Again, no others. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. The justices agreed that the United States government must be cautious regarding religious freedoms under the First Amendment. So while the justices, well, while it was a five to four decision in favor of the New Jersey law, all the justices come together and they agree that, oh, the government must be cautious regarding religious freedoms under the First Amendment. In doing so, it must walk the fine line between allowing the free practice of religion while also not promoting one religion over another. And so they create this fine line, which before there was no fine line. There's no fine line here. Congress is not allowed to make a law that respects an establishment of, of religion. Again, the original intent of the founders was Congress could not make a law that would support one denomination of Christianity over another. But this court in 1947, they create this idea of this, oh, this fine line, you have to tiptoe this fine line of, of balancing the establishment clause and the free exercise clause. They This court creates an issue where there was no issue prior. 
the establishment of religion clause of the First Amendment means, okay, now this is this is what the court said. All right, here's here's the statement. The, the establishment of religion clause of the First Amendment means at least this. Neither a state nor the federal government can set up a church. Mm. Did you hear what they said? In that moment, this 1947 court just redefined the First Amendment and they got away with it. They absolutely got away with it. They said the First Amendment means at least this. It means at least this. Neither a state nor the federal government can set up a church. That is a bold-faced judicial lie from the bench. Now, remember, these are some of the smartest men in the country, and they know what they're doing, and they're doing it on purpose. They are not incompetent. They are destroying the First Amendment, not out of incompetence, but out of purpose. They know exactly what they're doing. The First Amendment did not prohibit a state. That wasn't the point. It did not prohibit the state from establishing a religion. We already talked about this. The state constitutions, many of them were all for it. They were all about it. They said, look, either you are a Protestant or you do not hold office. And this court has come along and they've said the exact opposite. And they're getting away with it. But let me continue. So the First Amendment means at least this, neither a state nor the federal government can set up a church. Neither can pass laws which aid one religion, aid all religions, or prefer one religion over another. So even in the way they term this, they're, they're, they're framing it, they're adding to it. They have reframed the First Amendment, and they have added to it. And in the process, they have ultimately taken out the original definition of the word religion itself. Neither can force nor influence a person to go to or to remain away from church against his will or force him to profess a belief or disbelief in a religion. Even Justice Black, the famed Ku Klux Klan member, the senator from the Democrat Party who FDR said, hmm, you know what, you would be a great Supreme Court justice. Even Justice Black, who wrote for the five justices who did not view the New Jersey laws unconstitutional, said the following, the First Amendment has erected a wall between church and state. That wall must be kept high and impregnable. We could not approve the slightest breach. And so here we have it. We have the wall of separation between church and state that is now cemented in Supreme Court case precedent. And therefore, it's it's a part of the Constitution. Never, It's never in the Constitution. Those eight words are not written anywhere in the Constitution. It's a personal letter from Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association, wherein Jefferson is giving his opinion that the state cannot interfere. And by the state, he means the federal government. 
That's what he's referring to, that the federal government may not interfere in the affairs of religious activity, in the affairs of establishing a church. I mean, we know he's talking about the federal government because that's what the Danbury Baptists are talking about, and we're keeping it in context. But when he said a wall of separation between church and state, this Supreme Court from 1947, they've now applied it to the several states as well as the local municipalities, the local governments. They have completely reframed the First Amendment. They've completely redefined it. And in the process, they have inserted those eight words, the wall of separation between church and state. They have etched those eight words into constitutional law. And that's all they did. That, that That's it. They, they agreed with New Jersey that their law could stand. You know, they could still, you know, reimburse parents who, who's, who, who's busing kids to their parochial school. New Jersey wins the case in a five to four decision. But in that five to four decision, there's little subtleties, little, little changes that, that were put in, in place. Little changes that would just start this snowball effect. And oh, I'm telling you what, if I, oh, look at the time. We are out of time today. All right. We are wrapping up part four. I, you know, I, I think we can get this done in part five. I really do. I think we can get this done in part five, but we have to do this. It is very important that from 1947, that now we start paying attention to the cases that are rolling in. And I want you to see the how, how small incrementally very little these these decisions and these changes are made over time almost so slightly that at the moment it's not even noticed but here we look back 60 years and we think how did we get here well we got here because we were just pushed a little a little a little we were pushed an inch oh that's okay i'm just pushed an inch and then you know we're pushed an inch ah it's just an inch and then maybe 3 inches maybe six inches, you know, maybe back to two inches. Ah, they're just inches. It's not a big deal. But over a period of time, you look back over your shoulder and you see, holy cow, we are miles away from where we were. We're going to look at that. We will dive into it tomorrow, but we are out of time today, America. Thank you for joining me on the Dean's List. I appreciate you being on board. Let's unite to renovate the age.